and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes referred to as a young Richard Nixon. Young Richard Nixon. <laughs> that's, that's how Rob sounds nowadays. Uh, and we are coming to you from the next day after the three coldest days you can imagine. Now, the last three days were over minus 40 and that is Celsius and Fahrenheit because at minus 40, they match up. The two meet and become one and discuss how it's so cold. That's what they do. They People meet. notice minus 40 Celsius and minus 40 Fahrenheit talk to each other. It's the only time they can talk to each other and they discuss how cold it is. Nothing else? Well, they might talk about the wives and stuff like that. <laughs> the wives. And how cold it is. And, uh, oh, it's so okay. cold. The, these uh, weather sound a lot like me. <laughs> <laughs> talk about your wife all the time, eh? And, yeah. yeah. How is she doing, by the way? Um, haven't seen her in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just going to say, it was a long time when you kicked her out. Or, should I say, she kicked you out. Um... Uh, uh, she, she went a bit funny. I mean, head. I don't want to get into this. I, I don't want to get into this. But she did catch you with that dude. But yeah. anyways, let's go on with the show. But my story is still, she went a bit funny in the head. After she caught me with that dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This show's going off the rails in two minutes. Holy smokes. That's a new record. <laughs> Nobody has ever turned to the gardening show in under two minutes. Wow. So uh, what were you doing, Rob, during this uh, so-called cold stretch that we've been having? And yes, it was, seriously, at least minus 40 degrees outside. What were you you uh, doing during the cold stretch? What what shenanigans were you involved in when it was that cold in the last three days? Oh, I took a big chunk of um, uh, styrofoam that we normally use at work, and I uh, cut it the size and shape of my window. Did you? Well, well, can I interrupt this story? Can I interrupt this story? You guys were working when it was minus 40. No. I got this styrofoam. I stole this from work uh, last year. So so when you said... I I had a piece of styrofoam from work at home that I uh, cut the the size and shape of the window. I thought you said at work. I don't know if we can rewind this. Uh, Work. Okay. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No need to rewind. (laughs) Okay. I just don't want to catch you lying to our audience. All right. So you got this styrofoam from work. Yeah. And you were just pounding it for no reason. I was hammering it into the window so that uh, it's like a it's like a date I once had. Anyways. It barely fit. <laughs> Just like my date. <laughs> wow, this is getting X-rated really quick. I just say, there were only a few gaps by the time I was done. Just <laughs> like my which date. Were, which, were then, <laughs> which were then covered with duct tape. <laughs> Once again, like your date. <laughs> oh, we're off the rails like we've never been before on this 161st show. A show about music. <laughs> Well, okay. Now this week, <laughs> this week we are reviewing another album uh, released 50 years ago this year in 1973. Not that this year is 1973, because that no, would freak not. a lot of people out. Because they'd go, well, then 50 years ago that'd be 2030. It's 1913, and we we can't travel <laughs> back in time. We don't have a time machine. We oh, mean, what's wrong with you? We mean this year in 2023, going back to 1973. We don't we don't want to freak anybody out and have people running in the streets. 
saying it's 1913. Where is the time gone? <laughs> you wait till New Year's, then you can cry out, where is the time gone? <laughs> and this, wow, we've never got off the rails like this before. <laughs> and this is the sophomore album by Bruce Springsteen, uh, The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. And I was like, I was thinking back uh, about 1973. We were, we were what they call youngsters back oh, then. Oh, by golly. I can't even remember how small I was. You were small. I was super small. Yeah, you were small. I think I, I had to look up to talk to people. Oh, you had hair back then. Blonde hair. Yeah. Now you look like a young Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> and, but back then. <laughs> Because Lee Jacob, I swear, I've said this a long time ago, like 110 shows ago. Yes. But Lee Jacob was actually bald, like when he was like 28, and and then he wore a lot of hair pieces in his movies. And I know nobody gives a shit, but it's interesting because that's like Rob. Yeah, and that's why I always say he's like a young Lee Jacob. Nobody understands it. Except, I do. Except I don't wear uh, hairpiece in my movies. I wear it to the movies. <laughs> I like to see you in a movie. Um, I like to see me in a hairpiece. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of zingers going on today, eh? Holy smokes. So one of the things that, that piqued my interest this week about 1973 and us growing up in 1973 is that the Watergate hearings started in May of 73. Right on. And were broadcast on TV every freaking day good entertainment now <laughs> that, was, <laughs> sorry. that was sarcasm sorry. if you didn't recognize that that was sarcasm I'll just sit here quietly and let him speak for a little while fascinating TV <laughs> uh, I think I would have found it if I was an older person quite fascinating but now when we were quite young while this was happening uh, I do remember uh, this I do actually remember this I remember not being able to watch some of my shows when I got home oh, from yeah. school, like Gilligan's Island. Story and we're going to talk about Gilligan's Island sometime and talk about Gilligan's Island in a reality mode instead of a kid's mode because <sighs> that's a whole other subject. We're not going to get into it, Rob, oh, but Gilligan's Island in a reality mode, like in reality, like if it actually happened... Would not be oh, all be that at each other's throats, and it'd be like, oh, "Who gets?" We're not going to talk about it. I'm just saying. <laughs> As a kid, okay. you think it's plausible. You go, "Oh, everybody gets along like that," but in reality, it's different. It's dark. It's very okay. dark. It's, it's dark. And there's, there's usually cannibalism involved. <laughs> so uh, I remember like not watching Gilligan's Island because of the hearings, which. Uh, Maybe. And it's not like anybody in my family. Like my mom was home at the time, but she wasn't watching. She was like doing the. Uh, the vacuuming mom stuff. and stuff, yeah, yeah mom, mom stuff, stuff all the time. So she it was, it wasn't watched. It was just it was on the TV, and that was it was on the tube. On the tube, uh, where the regular programming, which was like Match Game and Gilligan's Island, was not on the tube. Not Whoa. there. It's not there. You remember Tattletales? You said you don't remember Tattletales. Not too much, no. It's it. I, we gotta talk. I we're suspect. going way. This is a show which is going to. We're just going to subtitle this show, show 161, as really off the rails because that's our fault because we're going to really off the rails. Yeah, bunch of stuff. But Tattletales was such a was, and you can see it now on the comedy, not the comedy game show network and stuff like that. You can see the. Old is it a, uh, the, the, an old one or the remade version? 
Is there a remade version? Not that I know of. That's why okay. you're confusing mm. me. Uh, <laughs> but they used to have, and this is the great couples that you should use, is they had like Hollywood couples on there. And then they would they would put them in another room, like they put the wives in another room, and then they'd ask the, the husbands a question, and then they'd they try and match up, see how well they knew each other. And uh, when you watch it, you realize that oh, they broke up, and they broke up because it's Hollywood couples. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh, they broke up. And some of them did last, uh, you know, uh, for their lifetimes together, but very few. Very few. And uh, you notice that the, the next time a, a, a certain guy was on that. Uh, he had a different wife. Different and, wife. And younger. <laughs> That's right, because they were into like remarrying. Yeah. They, nowadays, they, after the first couple of marriages, the guy's usually like, uh, this is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, but back in the back in the 70s, you remarried like six, seven times. You Johnny Carson? <laughs> yeah. Johnny Carson. Like Johnny Carson. Like Johnny Carson? Um, yeah, I remember I remember Tattletales very vividly. Uh I didn't watch all that much. I didn't get. I didn't get the adult humor in it. Uh, I just didn't. It was like they were talking about. Oh, no, what, no, like, what happens if fair, you go to a stylish just, party and you put your your keys in a bowl? And I was going. I don't understand what they're talking. Is about. Is my keys wife with me? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Is my wife with me? Anyways, all that stuff was preempted because of the Watergate hearings, which lasted like like for a year. It lasted forever. It seems like. And uh, I, the important question that I'm getting to in all of this. I've wasted a lot of time. The important question is that, was it worth it? And for history's sake, yes. But for my sad youth, the answer is no. No. I couldn't watch what I want to watch. The Nixon hearings represented the end of a certain kind of innocence. And we never realized at that age there was an innocence to be lost. It was meaningless to us. Yes, the innocence we lost was not being able to watch Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yes. At that time. That was the innocence uh, we lost. You <laughs> bastards. You took away my valuable Gilligan's Island time, <laughs> even though I've only watched it by the time I was probably nine years old, a hundred times uh, already. Oh, yeah. You saw every episode multiple times. It's like, now do I have to go outside and play? <laughs> what a horror. There wasn't a lot to do. You did actually play and maybe watch one or two shows and that... That's all you did. Yeah, I remember at the, uh, the end of the block in the wintertime, they always had the street hockey, and that's where everyone went, uh, or tobogganing. Or, or tobogganing, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, there was things to do when we got older, but we were pretty young. We were only late. In 70, 1973, at this time that we're talking about, we were, I was still in the first grade. You weren't even in school yet. I wasn't in school. You were in kindergarten. To to school, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we were young. But even at grade one, I remember... Uh, Gilligan's Island and how all innocent it seemed but how dark it really would be but we'll get to that some other time yeah not tonight nope. tonight merriment <laughs> no but tonight we're <laughs> no, jam-packed no, no, that's why well it might be merriment but we're jam-packed with stuff but first we have to find out as usual because I'm thirsty uh, Rob how was your week uh, let's see this week I kind of um, packed all my stuff up and uh, moved into a little tiny cubicle and uh, when I was in there I thought I had my computer chair adjusted to the right size but uh, then my back started to hurt and I was like oh no why did your back hurt but, uh, usually I don't give a shit about what you say but it's interesting uh, and people don't take that wrong that I don't care about Rob I don't care what he says uh, why did your back hurt oh because uh, I got a new computer chair and uh, it was at the wrong height and I was sitting in it for a while. My back started to hurt. And I thought, uh, I better change the height on this chair. But by then it was too late. 
Wow, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> you think that after all these years, was, I would learn not to ask. That was my most intensely boring and riveting story I've ever told. <laughs> I thought that there was a good, I slipped, I almost broke my neck and died type of story. But no, it was as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> that did not even elevate itself to being mundane. <laughs> you know what, Rob? Well, it's time for something. Lost time is not found again. Now, this week on Odds and Ends, Rob. Rob. I always say that like I'm mad at you, but I'm not. This week on Odds and Ends, Rob. Is this sounds very accusatory. It does. It does, <laughs> and I don't mean it that way. It's just that I, I feel that I have to say it like that. I don't know why. Of all the people in this room, it's your attention I need. Rob. This week, we are doing our least favorite listener segment. <laughs> But I think this week is going to be good, which is statistics about our show. And yes, this segment is so unpopular with our listeners, we receive death threats anytime we even think about doing it. Do you want to do the show, Rob, or do you want to take a break? (laughs) I just got to get up and wander around, distract you a bit, wave my arms like this. Look at me, I'm a distraction. I'm a distraction. It doesn't distract me. It just makes me think... Uh, I gotta punch him in the gut. Well, you did, because everybody's listening to what I'm saying, and I had a good punchline, and then you're just like walking around. Well, I had to get him to get my hat, because it's getting cold. Anyways, we received, like, the whole thing's fucking shot. Yeah, forget it. Let's just do the thing. The segment is so unpopular, <laughs> we receive death threats anytime we even think about doing it. But we are not scared of your idle threats. We are going to do statistics. And we will continue to do statistics now and in the future. And if you choose people to take your anger out on Rob, then so be it. I accept your anger. No, I covet your anger. Yes. I do not. I uh, recommend that all you people direct your anger at Rob and not me. Because, yeah, it was Rob's choice to do this. This is the one thing he chooses to always do. I love this do. segment. This segment where uh, graphs and charts. <laughs> <laughs> Basically is, too. Uh, we have, but this week, this week's a little bit, it's kind of fun. Because this week, we have our top 10 shows of all time, as of this episode that we're doing. Ooh, so, I'm curious about this, because it's been a while since we've done It has since been since. a while. And there has been some changes that will startle people. It startled me. Mighty. So it, it definitely is going to startle Rob. So let's get going, shall we? Okay. Would you stop fidgeting? Holy <laughs> smoke. It's like I'm walking around and then I'm wearing a coat and then I'm not wearing a coat. We're in a shack and Idiot. it cools off in here as we do the show. Idiot. And I'm not going to cool off because I'm not getting sick again. Uh, nobody cares about you getting sick. Well, maybe some people in prison that listen to this show care, but other people just... Oh. If I got a monkey next week, nobody would even know. Nobody would even know. <laughs> well, every now and then, he'd make, he'd make monkey noises. <laughs> and they'd say, I don't know why that guy's making monkey noises this week. Uh, so, and then he'd be chewing through the microphone cords. And... We're not going to get to our other segment this week. I can already tell you that. So number 10 on our list as the 10 most popular show that we've ever done is the show with the clown. Remember that? Uh Roxo the Clown? <laughs> I tried to trick Rob. We've never had a show with the clown. 
<laughs> uh, number 10, surprising the hell out of me, uh, Santa Esmeralda with Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Oh, right on. You have to remember, this is our 161st show. So to be in our top 10, you yeah. have to have a lot of people watching this over a lot of great albums. And I'm not saying we both liked Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood by Santa Esmeralda. But I swear to God, when we when I programmed this, because this was in our disco theme, yeah. I swear it'd be one of the one of the least listened to. This was First of all, because it was disco and it was yes, and it was not sincere enough and it was disco it and wasn't the, one of the, the bands that the, the, the we'd all grew up with uh, the disco bands this is right. kind of a one hit uh, who's heard of them right uh, but I do think it helped uh, having uh, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood being played in Kill Bill as we mentioned on the show yeah, yeah. I do think that helped I didn't even know that at the time I hadn't seen it but I did see I Kill did, Bill eventually I saw it the week after and that's why I heard the song after we'd done the show right so I didn't, we didn't even know. I didn't even know. And I really thought that this show would just get low uh, ratings. So to be number 10 on our list. It has crawled out from under the carpet. It has. I, I'm still shocked by it. I, well, Again, another shocker. I'm shocked by most of these, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm shocked by almost all of our top 10 lists, except for maybe one or two. Well, you know, I bet you all the really popular bands have been uh, covered by so much stuff. Yeah, that, uh, but they're still popular, but they're not in our they're not in our top 20 or 30. But they're still, you know, I just don't. And we, the funny thing is, is that when we started, we always thought that our first two shows, which was Derek and the Domino's Layla, and the Rolling Stones, Some Girls, which had phenomenal numbers. We always thought, oh, they're our first shows, so they're always being more popular. Well, those shows are in the dust now. Yeah, they're not behind, I <laughs> They're just sucking wind now because of all these other shows. And, of course, that's a compliment to our show, but still, it just shows that uh, you can't predict anything on this show. You can't predict anything. People this, this, This is a... this. Number nine shocks me. Number nine, our number ninth most popular show. Um, Kenny Rogers in the first edition, Ballad of Calico. And there's a couple reasons why it shocks me. Is is one, is that it's been out of print since 1973. Yeah, and the, it's yeah. really hard to get. Uh, I didn't know anybody knew about it. And in fact, I didn't know about this album uh, because Kenny Rogers in the first edition was not talked about much in the music press when I was growing up. I found out about it uh, just by reading a, a very lengthy article about the making of this album, that it was underrated, and Kenny Rogers had just passed away. And so that's why they talked about it in this article. I can't remember what article. Oh, I was in Rolling Stone, actually. And they talked about how this un, un, underrated album, and I said, oh, we should have that on the show. And right from the beginning... And it's a double album, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a double album. And it's a concept album. And all this unwieldy stuff. You didn't think anybody's going to, oh, Kenny Rogers. They're not going to really uh, tune in for that. And they did right from the beginning. It was one of the shows that was popular right as soon as we put it on the internet until now. And for a while, it was like number three. I imagine there's not a lot of information on the internet. Uh, there's not. Come to think of it. There's there is a few things we had to search to find. Oh, that's what you said before. Rob made a good point before. When we were talking, I think, about this album, is that 
when you put that album in a Google search, probably ours comes up very, very soon <laughs> because it's not well talked about. And then they find out what it's about. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. And it actually, I gave it kind of a middling review. There were some really good things about the album and some things that I, I didn't like. I liked it a but bit it was, But I said that I would listen, that this is the album that I would always be intrigued with. And it, and it is. I actually want to listen to it Again, because like right now, because it's an album that uh, is, it's spotty, but it's interesting. And that's the ones that make you want to go back and listen to them. I did like the concept album part of it. Yes. And it had some very, very promising. It had some good music. And it seems that when it went away from Kenny Rogers. It was just kind of okay. It was a, yeah, exactly. It was a very democratic album, which means the album was kind of divided with songs between the other members of the band and it just seemed like uh, it's too democratic unfortunately but it's still when I think of it I think of it positively when I see it on the list I think yeah that's a good album yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to go back and for the 200 strong I'm going to make a list of the uh, the albums I have uh, gone back and uh, kind of um, um, put on my playlist but, uh, Rob's playlist I've heard that one in a while so number 8 yeah but it's a fascinating album <laughs> and even the um even the artwork is fascinating. The artwork. I'm glad yeah. I got the, yeah, they had the artwork on the uh, the internet. I so. even said on the show, I said, if I just saw this album, if I saw this album in a, in a used record store, I would buy it right away uh, just for the album uh, artwork. And I still stick by that. Anyways, number eight. Again, this really shocks me because we don't, we don't usually do very well at all with R&B and soul, unfortunately, on this show, even though I love soul music. Teddy Pendergrass is our number eighth mo- uh, most listened to show. And we did this show, God, long, long time ago. And I just, again, I have no explanation. Because like I said, we've done quite a few R&B and soul albums. And to be perfectly honest with you, the black market doesn't the doesn't do that well on this show it does good but it doesn't do as well as the white artists or the 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 classic rock i guess we could say and that's why i'm really i'm really excited that uh teddy pendergrass kind of broke that he's the only really r&b soul one in the top 10 and uh and to be number eight and it it was a really good album it wasn't we didn't think it was excellent but we both kind of thought it was really good it wasn't mind shaking. I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember we both gave it like a three and a half or something. No, I think we both it. liked it. They just uh, I think that was the, one of the first ones we pointed out. It was, we did. Uh, yeah, it was, it was more for the ladies. Yes, it was. It was. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, it had that. It had that cover that was for the ladies, and that's why we I criticized it a little bit because I said you're you're you you don't make a cover like that because you're you're making it so guys are uncomfortable buying it, and I remember that. And I just remember liking the album, uh, and I know you did too. I had no idea it would go through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just remember thinking if I was uh, going to a party and uh, I wanted to score with a hot chick, that was the album I was going to play. Oh yeah, that's for yeah, sure. That's or it's like I know Teddy Pendergrass. And it was like, ooh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number seven. <clears throat> Fuck. It's funny because on this top ten of our most listened to shows of all time. There are a couple of albums 
that are the worst albums I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and yet they're in our top 10. He has lived a long time and listened to many albums. I've listened to many, many albums. And I've been on this earth longer than even I can thought I would live. And I've listened to many albums. And, and we got a couple albums on here that beguile me as to why we even pick them, let alone to why they're the most, why they are the most popular of our shows. You people sometimes stink. <laughs> and I mean your smell is putrid. It's the hair soundtrack at number seven. Ooh. An album I really didn't like. And one of the big things is, first of all, I didn't like the songs, except for, I like the cover songs. I like when Three Dog Night does Easy To Be Hard. I like when the Cow Seals do Hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all that stuff. I like, I like Let The Sunshine so. In by Fifth Dimension and Aquarius. And that song by Good Morning Sunshine. What's the song Good by Good Morning Oliver? Sunshine. Good Morning Sunshine. Starshine. Good, Good Morning Starshine. I like all those songs when they're done separately. I don't like the, all, the whole group singing. That's not my thing. And it, it made the song sound bad. Even the good songs, and I hated this album. Yeah, I did. I, I, I watched him uh, after listening to the album, and he got into a very punchy mood. He got, <laughs> I was. <punched> it. <laughs> it really made me my angry. My There's only one album, as we will be coming to, <laughs> that made me angrier than this album. But this album <laughs> made me pretty damn angry. I just oh hair. I was like, it was like damn you hair. Oh, it was like, and it was to me, it's like black. But the movie. It's excellent. I enjoy the movie. And, and the movie is excellent. And the movie, the music, for some reason, when it's with the visuals, it works. works. But as a standalone, it sucks the big one. <laughs> uh, you may be wondering what the big one is. Why it needs sucking. <laughs> okay, Robbie, you went over the line there. Number six, I love this. I love that number six. This is our most sixth most popular show ever. It's our Christmas album, and it's not only a Christmas album, it's our first Christmas album, and it's actually not only one of my favorite Christmas albums of all time, it's also, I think, one of my favorite albums from the set. I love this album. It's almost a concept Christmas oh, album. Oh, yeah. The Carpenter's the Christmas Portrait, which I still listen to at Christmas. I still think it's amazingly smart for a Christmas album. And when Karen Carpenter sings... And especially Christmas songs. My God, nothing gets better. Nothing is better than that. Nothing is better when when Karen Carpenter like sings I'll Be Home for Christmas or anything like that. Oh, so missed. Gone so young. And it's one of the few voices that just gets me every, <laughs> every time, time she sings. Every she time has a quality she sings. to her voice. I don't know what it is, but it's a very commanding. Nobody has been able to define voice. I heard people say, and I agree with it. It's it's uh, a strong but sad voice every time. Even when she's singing, like there's a there's a sadness even when she's singing a happy song to it. I agree with that, and I don't know how she achieves it. It's just natural, but there's always a sadness about her. But it's um, it's not a maudlin sadness, you no. know. It's it's just a little bit of a subtle sadness that you get in. in. And when you hear a song like "Rainy Days and Mondays," and it just gets you like it's a good song, but it, it wouldn't affect me if it wasn't if it was sung by somebody else. Like that. But when it's sung by her, I'm like, oh my god, it <laughs> 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 was beautiful song ever. Anyways, I'm glad it's on here. I love this Christmas album. 
it's we've had four great Christmas albums on our show. And as you know, this is even better than Elvis's Christmas album. I love this album. And it's very uh like we said, it's a concept album, really. They see the song seeking to one another and really good. Number five is the biggest surprise of my life ever doing this show. Pleasantly. Pleasantly. The, um, the, the, uh, don't tell me the, um, the, the, We're gonna the see soundtrack. A... Yes. It is uh, the, the, the two um, um, Sorcerer. Is that correct, sir? Rob gets a kick in the ass because he's right. Tangerine <laughs> Dream Sorcerer is... I, I have no idea why it's number five. It was just an, an, uh, a movie that I loved. So I picked it because it had a great soundtrack to the movie. Never heard the soundtrack before as an album. And from the time we put it on, up on the internet, it just boomed. And I don't know why we've had better albums. We've had albums with vocals. We've had instrumental albums that may be better. Uh, we love the album. We yeah. really did. We gave it. We gave it. A really good like we did love the album especially when you imagine the album and we, you know what we said about it I remember too we said that uh, you could visualize each song you didn't have to know what the movie was about you could visualize each song on its own and that is the mark of a great instrumental album but we had no I, I thought oh you know you would have the probably a little bit less than the average amount of listeners and right as soon as we put it on through the roof through the roof I don't understand it what the hell happened with Tangerine Dream that week it's not that week <laughs> it grew every week it grew every our, our shows we don't they don't just actually our shows do okay during the first week and then they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow every show does but some of them stop at a certain point and kind of level off and um, this one just kept growing this one just kept growing for like two years. I'm seriously, uh, seriously, like it. Uh, every month there'd be a couple more listeners. Like even like a year and a half later, and it was like, what is with this album? Like it's not a heralded album. Uh, it's a kind of an. It's not an obscure pick, but it's not. It's not your first choice for a soundtrack album. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's an unusual choice, but I'm glad the Tangerine Dream. We got in actually, there. I told, I, I said this on the show, and I've said this to Rob. It's probably other than the reception we got for Judy Sill, which uh, warms my heart because I think the world of her. And she died way too young and had too much of a sad life. This is the happiest thing that I've done on this show is to have Tangerine Dream <laughs> go through the roof. Because it's the most least expected thing. Who would think that Tangerine Dream, a German <laughs> band, a kraut rock band, instrumental. Doing their weird going, instrumental synthesizer <laughs> stuff. No drummer, no bass player, no guitarist. <laughs> would go through the roof. And other albums that are heralded uh, don't do as well as it. And it just warms your heart. It goes to say... We have such an eclectic audience. We do. Like sometimes they don't like the big albums that we do, and and they like albums like that. And it just goes, wow, these these people are amazing. Sometimes they really are. They surprise me. It's and sometimes sometimes in the greatest of ways. And as we're going to find out a little bit later, sometimes in the saddest. In the saddest of ways. <laughs> oh. <laughs> An album that even Rob will will never believe as we get to number four. 
uh, our number four most popular show. And this this started out so weak, this episode, because we just came back from taking two months off or whatever, when all of us moved at the same time and yeah. we couldn't do the show and we had to take two months off and then we had to record shows. So it was almost like three months before we put a show on the air. And it took a while to get our audience back and to, to let them know that we were still doing the show. And the first thing we did was a uh, when we came back was a Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Well, we did the week thing. of uh, yeah. we did a, we did a whole month of it where we did uh, Deja Vu and then we did four solo albums. So we did actually five weeks of it. Well, actually, with the uh, the week off every three, that um, uh, no, we didn't take the week off. We did whole five shows. Whole five shows. Yeah, we never take a week. We never take a week oh, off. We were young then. And we never take endurance. a week off while we're doing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> We might, but they would no, know. It. Sometimes we have weeks off when we're doing themes, but that's yes. usually involving. Yes, exactly. That's personal stuff. People, that's personal. Get away, get out of here. You don't need to know about that. Neil Young, after the Gold Rush, number four, and it's it shocks me again. See, there is a popular. That is a popular album. That so. is a popular album. It's one of the. It's listed as one of the greatest albums of all time. Listed as one of Neil Young's greatest albums, and he's only released like 50. So to have that right at the top. But it started out very weak. It started out probably even below average, which shocked me. So did Deja Vu. But the albums like uh, Stephen Stills and Graham Nash and David Crosby did very well. So I said, I was going like, fuck, I don't understand that. And Deja Vu uh, did pick up quite a bit. Um to the point where it was kind of level with the Crosby, Stills and Nash records. But Neil Young was still behind. Like like a year later, Neil Young was still behind. And then all of a sudden, that's why it's so funny. It can take a whole year it's like before, a, an album, before did, a show catches did, on. Did something happen with Neil Young? Yeah. Where a lot of people were investigating. And, uh... Exactly. Like what happened that all of a sudden, this one episode, they decided to start to start listening to it. We're going to get it to an an album next on our next iron list that's just like that but this is the surprise because even when i was doing this list in the last couple of days i didn't know that after the gold rush had even gone up that much so that was number four i thought it was maybe trying to break the top 10 but it has picked up steam over the last two years because it seriously did not have good numbers for the first eight to 12 months and then I can't predict anything because then people wanted to listen to the episode. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we were very funny that episode and it got around. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, usually we're not. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that in the, our uh, list of possible reasons. A little <laughs> n- side note. Uh, this has nothing to do with our top 10, but a little side note is that when we were doing... We're not going to get to the other segment because we're already almost too late for the album. <laughs> uh, so I kind we'll of have do the album next week. <laughs> <laughs> is that um, when we did we did two Beatles themes. We'll do another one this year. But we did two Beatles themes, which was the most acclaimed Beatles albums of all time albums. in the 70s and the most uh, critically d- drubbed solo Beatles albums of all time in the 70s. The interesting thing is that Ringo Starr turned up last when we did the best uh, Beatles albums. And he turned up first as the most watched, as the most listened to episode when we did 
the mm. worst Beatle albums. I guess they wanted to know how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, so that's you strange. Pessimist. You pessimist. You you want to you want to hear old Gary get mad. <laughs> and by the way, his album Ringo the Fourth is like good. To put out the, with the bathwater, that's that's <laughs> as about as good as it's for. Angry, angry. Hate, hate knocking any Beatles stuff, but th- that was pure what product. Was he thinking what the was one he thinking? thing I hate: too much party in that Ringo. Pure product. I don't like albums just released because it has to. It's just product. It's just I need an album out, so I'm just going to release it. And Ringo did that quite well in the late 70s. And it's the one thing, as you know, Rob, I really hate. We're going to get to something like that soon. We're going to have a talk with you, Ringo. But number three, these these next two albums, number three and number two, again, were albums that did okay when we first broadcast the show and put it up on the internet. And then uh, seven, eight months later went through the roof like I have never seen. Uh, just barely at number three because it was it's it was overtaken just this last week and a half or last two weeks by number two. But at number three, uh, the great uh, righteous Bob Marley and Bob Marley Live. Uh, I, I love this up. He's got staying power. He's got staying power. He's he's the saintly Bob Marley, and uh, he's more popular now than obviously than when he died. And uh, it surprise. It doesn't surprise me that it's number three. It just surprised me because it started off so ordinary, and it was ordinary for a long time. And then it went through the roof. Yeah, I a few of these understand. are new uh, additions to the uh, the top. Uh, yeah, we've. It used to be we had three albums that we always talked about as being, which I'm not going to talk because we still have the. One of them was Tangerine Dream was always number two forever. And number three, I can't remember what number three was. By the way, when we did our soundtrack themes, when we did our soundtrack albums as a theme, uh, we did four albums, which at that time was re- relatively new. We had we yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we did four albums. Three of them are on this list, and the fourth one just barely made it on. It was it was by far our most successful theme. The one that didn't make it was an album, which is one of my favorites that we've ever done on the 161 albums on this show. Superfly. Curtis Mayfield, Superfly. Superfly. Which was just magnificently marvelous. I I don't even know the words. But we were both, both Rob and I, were unbelievably almost gobsmacked by how, (laughs) how amazing that album was. And it did get a lot of listeners... Just didn't make our top ten, but all, all all three of the rest of the albums, for good or bad, made the top ten, which is an amazing thing for one theme. People love soundtrack albums, I guess. Number two, this shocked me. Not really when you look at it, but it shocked me because again, it has been a steady, steady, steady rise from very midland numbers at the beginning. And for a long time, and then just rose, but the 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 Queen of Canada, uh, Anne Marie. <laughs> no, not Anne Marie. <laughs> second, second, and third only to another Canadian, Leonard Cohen, Gordon Lightfoot, of course, oh, Gordon Julie. Lightfoot too, and uh, to Bob Dylan is uh, Joni Mitchell, yeah. uh, one of our one of our Prairie <laughs> Princess uh, and Ladies of the Canyon. 
Number two, Rob. Really? Yeah. I know. I'm a stunned. I'm not. I'm not. You people don't understand. I'm not stunned because old Joni Mitchell. But Ladies of the Canyon, like, that's stupid. No, I'm surprised because for a couple of things. Because it started off weekly. Not weekly, but yeah, I would even say weekly. I would even say below average. And it just, and it didn't grow for a long time. And then it just went through the roof. And it isn't even the album that I would have picked. It would be maybe the third or fourth album, at least, that I would have picked. I definitely would have picked Blue, which is a masterpiece Court of an Spark. album. I haven't heard Blue, but Court and Spark was And Court and Spark was another one that I really thought that we should do. But then, I, I, for some reason, I backed away from it. And this was actually probably my fourth choice. And I, I wouldn't be that surprised if it was blue. If it was blue, then I would be like, oh, number two. Well, it should be number one. It is sincerely probably my second or third favorite album of all time. It's just heartbreaking and beautiful album. And Court and Spark, I wouldn't be surprised if it was number two. And the other album, I can't remember what it was, but I was going to pick that one. I wouldn't be surprised. I am not because Lazy, Lazy Can of the Canyon is an excellent album, but... It's it's surprising that it's the album that got to number two from Joni Mitchell. Maybe it's just Joni Mitchell. There is a big resurgence since Joni has recovered from her brain aneurysm, and has even played uh, even played uh, Newport uh, Folk Festival uh, in a chair singing. And there's been a big revival, and especially for women uh, in grasping Joni, because Joni Mitchell was on the outside for a long time. Because of her comments, everybody thought she was snooty. Everybody, everybody didn't didn't like that that she would criticize people if they didn't like her albums and interviews. Said that her albums were above people's heads and stuff like that. She was saying a lot of dumb things, and of course, she made a lot of comments about Dylan that people didn't like. So she was on everybody's radar. Then she had this brain aneurysm, and people thought we could lose Joni Mitchell, and she's great. We got to put these petty things that she says aside and listen to the music. And ever since then, Joni's stock has risen huge. And she's regarded now not only as the greatest woman songwriter, which she hates, by the way. <laughs> she wants to be considered one of the, you know, yeah, a songwriter. Let me in with the songwriters. a songwriter. A songwriter. Not a woman songwriter <laughs> or a male song. Because they never say... This is the best, you know, Dylan's the best male songwriter. They always say Dylan's the best songwriter of all time. They don't do that for men, but they do it for women. And she, <laughs> she's right, and she's right. But I think, but, but, but in, in honesty, Rob, they do mean it in the, in the nicest way. Because they they're do, saying it the... like she's the best. But she's not as good as far as we can heard her as Dylan or no, Leonard Cohen she's not or saying, whatever. They're not saying so much she's the best among the women. She's just saying uh, she's one of the best and uh, we think she happens the, to be a yes, woman. Yes, it's actually a compliment. But <clears throat> it, comes off, compliment, it yeah. comes off wrong, right? <clears throat> yep. Because you, you get to say she's the best at it and that's a compliment. And then you throw in woman songwriter. Yeah, but she's like the third or fourth best songwriter of all time. But you don't want to say that. You want to be like, she's the best woman songwriter ever. Because there's lots of women songwriters, especially nowadays in the last 30 or 40 years. There's been a lot of women songwriters. And, but that's, I can see how that can, because I can see both sides. Songwriters are songwriters. Just like we say, there's no color in music. There's no gender in music. There's no sexuality as far as uh, I like this because of the person's sexual. None of that. Music is music. It's 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 it doesn't have uh, prejudices, nope. but it does unfortunately. 
and uh, I'm glad I'm I'm really over the moon that we have a woman at number two because women women so much in especially in popular music and rock music have been demeaned. I don't recognize gender. And we don't, I don't, I don't recognize gender other than, wow, she looks really good when they're on the screen. But There's I, only one time it should be recognized. Though. Yes, exactly, when you've when you got a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it just fills my heart that, that a woman, and we've had, we've had, of course, when I love Judy Sill, everybody knows who listens to this show how much I love Judy Sill. So I'm not, we try and get women on here as much as we can. There's not a lot in the 70s, unfortunately, but we try and do as much as we can. So with all the men and men acts that we have on this show in the last four years, to have a woman be number two, I think is fantastic. Fantastic in ways that I can't even express in words. I think, wow, she's like, that's Joni. She's the yeah, queen. exactly. See, that's why I'm not too flabbergasted. That's Joni. That's Joni. <laughs> it is. She has a following which we will never understand because it's like every woman loves her. Every woman loves her music. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't like that type of music or this type of music. If it's Joni, I love it. <laughs> I always loved her lyrics because, like I say, she has the highest. Uh, the, the, uh, the lyrics are about stuff. As opposed to, uh, I got one thing to say, and now here's a whole bunch of filler lyrics to help fill up the song. And uh, no, she doesn't. She's never done that. In her oh, life. she's she's one of the greatest mm. by far. And we're so over time. She has never sloughed it off. So I did not think that we'd get the, the take this long to do, and I'm really sorry. But we have to point out that it's still, still, the number one show of all time. And it's still by a huge margin over Joni is the Grease fucking soundtrack, <laughs> which is the biggest abomination. Not the first side. The first side is excellent. It's the it's the second record. Yeah, and you think, oh, well, they must have the second side. No, there's 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 three more sides, <laughs> which so is we get to be three times as angry. I'm not I, okay. People want to hear this because I know they listen to, to hear me get mad. But it's an abomination because it was just made to be two records so they could make more money and people were going to buy it anyway. So buy a two record set. They put these terrible songs from the Broadway show on there, which are, which are terrible and they're done badly. And it's just a cash in. They did a great job. They weren't even part of they weren't even part of the movie inside in the second record. <laughs> they weren't even in the movie raw. Songs. <laughs> sung and, by Broadway artists. Oh, they were sung by Broadway artists. <clears throat> and uh, it demeaned the, the first and second side, which were songs from the movie. And they just did it to make money. And that is the cardinal sin that I have against any music product is don't make it product. And don't sucker the fans into paying for more than they deserve. Why you people put this album as the as the most listened to episode we have? I don't know. Unless you really liked me getting mad, which I did, like I am now when I reviewed it. <laughs> I got even more mad. I remember how mad I got when I reviewed this album. I called it a piece of dirt. I called it. I called it. You and used, not the first. I think the first side. I think you used some swear words. And I used some swear words. I called it a piece of shit. And that's only the second record because it was just product and it was bad and it was just used to get more money out of people and oh and it demeaned the 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 great songs written for John Travolta yeah there were a bunch of good John. songs and it, it's attached to that schlock exactly and you people 
made it number one. Our number one show ever. I hope you're feeling a little ashamed. Aren't you? It is curious. You would listen to Joni and Bob Marley and uh, you get, know, I, from, get Grease Eye out, out of number one. I think a lot of people have good standards on what they like and what they enjoy, but they may not have uh, really thought that much about what they hate. And when uh, they get a hold of an album that somebody else hates, they're going to listen to it and say, okay, so that's what really rock music sounds like. I kind of <laughs> thought it was something like uh, this. That's not what rock music sounds like. Sides <laughs> three and four no, do rotten, not sound like that. Rotten music. Oh, it was rotten music. It's, there you go. It's the lowest of low. It's music that, if it wasn't on that soundtrack, would never be heard by humans. <laughs> that's how bad it is. It would not be... It would. That music would not... Uh, it would have make died. it onto an album, and it would have died if it did get it died onto an in the album, theater. It would die. That's why it wasn't a movie before. Is because the music in the Broadway film and the Broadway play was so bad. Oh my God, people! Don't you understand? Get. I want you people to go to your windows and to say, <laughs> "I'm mad as hell, <laughs> and I'm not gonna take it anymore." Okay. <laughs> I want to just oh man where's the, this is the most overtime we've ever been but I just want one little tidbit before we do the album and that is the one episode I don't remember is Richie Haven's Mixed Bag 2 I have no I, I don't remember what happened <laughs> I, I have little glimpses seconds of doing that episode but I have I when that popped up I said we did Richie Haven's Mixed Bag 2 album and that's the only album which I couldn't remember us doing. <laughs> I do recall that uh, we liked his um, uh, his live stuff more than his studio stuff. Yeah. yeah. I do remember we liked the album, but it wasn't great. We gave it three stars or something like yeah. that. That's what I remember, but I actually didn't even... It took me a while to even remember that, that we did that episode. <laughs> Anyways, oh my God, we have to go on. <laughs> okay, we got eight minutes to do the review. Well, let's get through this. Okay, so today's album we are reviewing... Is by Bruce Spring, and then we do this album, and we, there's no way we can do this in 10, 50 minutes. <laughs> uh, we're it's by Bruce Springsteen called "The Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle," released on November fifth, nineteen seventy three, the same year as his first album was released on January fifth, nineteen seventy three, which we reviewed on this show two years ago. Which greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, which we both loved, and. Uh, I don't know if I should get into a whole bunch of stuff because we're short of time. I had a whole bunch of stories about how I heard about this. A friend gave me, uh, I had, I got Dr. Sudge Edge of Town on one of those in 1978. On one of those Columbia things. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which I'm going to talk about, yeah, another time. Like uh, 11 albums for a penny and and you get an extra album if you spend a dollar and and anyways, I, I'm going to tell you about the 11 albums that I picked and all of that. One of them was Dark Side of Town. I was 12 years old, didn't understand it. Uh, it seemed uh, I didn't get it at that time. I was really too young for, for Bruce Springsteen. He had a, if people, and I don't think a lot of people remember, he was so much a cult figure. People thought, and I came to that point where I became one of the Bruce tramps who listened to everything he did and and thought that he was the savior of rock and roll at that time there were the people who thought he was the savior of rock and roll the future of rock and roll 
I understand that. And there were people who weren't. They were just like, he's not played on the radio or anything like what she wasn't. He just wasn't played, except for Born to Run, the song he wasn't played on the radio. And so we had this cult following. And I told, I think I told this story on the, the show before. But in 1978, before I got Darkness on the Edge of Town, it was released. And I went into our local record store in the mall, remember, up yeah. Where it always was. It had a different name every year, but it was the same record store. Yeah, I bought a whole lot of records yeah. there. And it reminds me, if you ever... I think everybody's seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's just like that record store that they have them all in the movie. It was just like that. And it had, and what it had when I went in there, it had this big display of all of these Darkness on the Edge of Town albums. And Bruce Springsteen finally, it's been three years, and he's finally released his record. And I felt that I couldn't buy it because there was such a huge cult about Bruce Springsteen that I'm not a big fan. I've never, I've only heard the one song. I can't buy this. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> I was young. I said, I'm not allowed to. So I, I bought it on... Uh, You'd be I, taking I, the album away from one of the fans yeah. who really wants no, no, it. No, it wasn't that. I didn't belong. I, it's like I had. I didn't have a membership card almost. <laughs> that kind of thing. And uh, I seriously thought that. There was the Bruce fanatics and there was the people who weren't. And since I was just a young guy just starting listening to music, I said, well, I'm not. So I guess I can't buy the album and uh, I did eventually, of course, a couple of months later, get the album, as I said, in Columbia. And then um, didn't make much of an impression on me. It was, like I said, too young. Bought the river uh, like that, uh, but wasn't blown away by it. Again, too young for it. Anyways, 1981, grade 10, a friend of mine gave me not only a, a bootleg copy of Bruce playing Winterland in 1978, which was... A religious experience almost totally changed my whole outlook on not only Bruce Springsteen but rock and roll and I got the Dave Marsh book um, which is why I'm getting this telling the stories uh, called Born to Run which again totally changed my life about Bruce Springsteen and rock and roll and I read this book I remember reading it in like the winter of 81 when I was in grade 10 and they talked about this album The Wild, The Innocent, and The Street Shuffle and Dave Marsh said all these things, like the, 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 by the way, you should buy the book. It's, it's an amazing book of, of how passionate you can be about rock and roll, not only as the performer, but as a, a biographer who loves the performer. You know what I mean? I the, the, how, how their, their, their passion even gets to the, the person writing about the person. Yeah. And uh, I remember, and I'll never forget it, I still have that book, but. It's, it's seared in my memory when he talked about The Wild and the Innocent that he said, side two of The Wild and the Innocent is by far one of the greatest sides in rock and roll history. And I was going, what the fuck? <laughs> and he made a couple if of examples. Were, I would have heard of it by now. It was like, that's a pretty bold statement to make out of an album mm -hmm. that didn't sell very many copies at all. And uh, by God, he was right. That's <laughs> so I bought the album. I did... Uh, buy the first two albums like everybody did uh 1981 right after that uh it's funny because nobody bought either greetings from asbury very few people bought greetings from asbury park and the wild and the innocent when they were released in fact neither album made the billboard top 200 until it was re-released in 1975 and born to run had come out and then it made uh finally made the billboard top uh, 200 and then 
got to Denver. This is strange. They were released on the same day, re-released on the same day, made the charts on the same day in 1975, re-released, I mean. And they made their peak on the same day, side by side. Greeting, uh, uh, greetings finished at number 40, was the highest that it got. And Wild and the Innocent got 39. Talk about coincidence. Weird, man. <laughs> All the same people were buying the album <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. Doesn't that tell you that? They yeah. were going in buying two albums yeah. at once. Uh, anyways, uh, this was an album that when I first heard it as a uh, 15-year-old, took a while because it was not as simplistic or folky, like catchy, mm-hmm. I guess is the word, as Greetings to Masbury Park, but it was deeper. And it was uh, much more of a funk, rock and roll, R&B record. It had a thicker, fatter sound with those horns. Thicker, fatter sound overall. Really, I like the way you said that. Overall, the record had a thicker, fatter sound, especially the horns. And it was just, you could tell that that this is a rock and roller. This wasn't a folk rock guy like they had on Greetings, even though Greetings is an excellent album. Uh, This album is, I will admit... One of my favorite albums of all time. I'm a. It's almost we shouldn't do Bruce albums, but I think we're going to do all of them on the show. <laughs> I think we're going to do all four released in the '70s. But uh, Springsteen is right below Dylan as my favorite of all time uh, songwriter performer. He changed my life. He changed how I wanted to be presented when I was on stage. He changed how I wrote songs. He changed how I wanted to present the songs. That's why I do a lot of talking in songs. Is because Bruce did it in 73 and 74 and 75 which is my favorite era of bruce so this is not a very partial review because <laughs> i'm gonna say i think this album's a masterpiece even though the first side is a little spotty it has uh a song that is not one of my favorite songs of bruce called kitty's back it's a little bit long but i i it has grown on me over the years and it does have a lot of styles uh on the first uh uh, first, it's got it goes from the the soul funk of E Street Shuffle. It goes into the uh, romantic ballad of Sandy, and then it goes into the jazzy Kitty's Back, and then it ends up with a folk song with Wild Billy's Circus Wild Story. It's Wild all Billy over the place, stories. and it somehow works. But somehow you know that it's all over the place. Yes. But and the, the, the neat thing about it being all over the place is um, it, it matches up with the, the words, the lyrics he's written so beautifully, like the way the moods change with what he's saying and what yes. he's trying to get across. So it has to change like that. Yeah. It has to have a whole lot of different moods. So the difference inside, too, is there seems to be, in its own strange way, a theme. And that's why I do believe Side 2 is one of the greatest sides ever released in rock and roll history. And I have no doubts about that, in my opinion. I have no doubts about that. I felt that in 1981, and I feel about it now. I think it is one of the greatest sides of music ever put on uh, vinyl. I really do. It, It starts out with Incident on 57th Street, which is a song which I would kill to write. It's a Romeo and Juliet, West Side Story type of song. Uh, it seeks right into Rosalita, which is the one of the first Bruce songs I heard. I maybe heard this song before Born to Run. I'm not sure. I didn't hear this song all until... Um, uh, I used to listen to the rock and roll station when I was younger. And then they started playing uh, the music for newer people. The, all the... What was it called back then? 
I don't know, pop or new way ride. But anyway. Not, it's funny because it's not, you would think that Rosalita is a song that was played a lot. It was no, not. It got played, it started getting some airplay when I first started hearing it, when the classic rock station started yes. coming out. This got circulated a fair bit. I think that. the only time I heard it was in 19, late I, 1977, and I don't think I heard it until <clears throat> the classic rock station started uh, kind of in the early 80s. The, Again, yeah. uh, it was not... Uh, you would think, since it's being an album track, that it would be played a lot. It's a fun... It's one of the most joyous songs I've ever heard in my life. You cannot listen to this, this song and not feel some sort of joy out of, of how it's being played. But it, I think it was, I remember that the, the DJ played it on a Friday night and he was just saying, you know, Bruce is getting ready to release his, he's in the studio recording his new album for 1978 and it will be released. And he said, here's a song to tide you over, which was Rosalie and I'd never heard anything like that. It just felt like one big party, <laughs> one joyous party, even though the song's not about a party. But it's just so full of energy and, and joyfulness. And, and this time, reading along with the lyrics, I finally got to, to find out what they were saying when they were uh, singing. There. <laughs> One of the biggest mistakes of this album, which Bruce admits, was it's the only album they didn't have lyrics to. And he always admitted that that God, was... God, I have the lyrics. And it's he said that, that was like the big mistake that, that he made. And, and one of the biggest things that people would, a, would ask him you can get them now, of course, on the internet. But oh, how can we get lyrics? And I, even I, yeah, even I, as a big Bruce fan, thought that that meant this, but it did. Because didn't you know. can follow a lot of his songs ninety-five percent of the way through, ninety-eight percent. But there's always that one line which you're confusing and thinking yes. it's something else. Oh, that's what the line is. Oh, well, I, I guess for twenty-five years I've been saying it wrong. But Blinded okay. by the light was the worst when Man for Band. Actually, that was. <laughs> we're not. We don't have time to really get into that. We will be covering that album. But that's the example of uh, the, yeah, it's, it's the thing common to Bruce Springsteen songs. Yeah. That actually there's a line be, somewhere where you just can't get it. That may be actually uh, <laughs> the first Bruce Springsteen song I heard. It wasn't, of course, by Bruce, but it was the first Bruce Springsteen's was Blinded by the Light. Blinded by the Light, yeah. And then it was, I think then it was Born to Run, and then it was Rosalie. I actually remember the days that I heard him. I remember pivotal days. I can't remember, like like when this happened or when that happened but I remember when I heard a certain song that changed my life and I remember the day I heard Born to Run I can find it on the calendar for you <laughs> I remember it was I, I remember it was I'm gonna Remembrance take, Day or Veterans Day I'm going to take your word that you know when it was I do I'm going to tell you I Remembrance Day or for the Americans <laughs> Veterans Day and I remember we got off school early uh, maybe it was the next day that it was Remembrance Day we got off school early I remember we had to go and into the uh, I remember all this, Rob. We had to go into the gym, and we had to. They put up the what it was the things the, the uh, they red put up, projectors, there. the projectors, oh, the projectors there and they there. put up one tin soldier. And we had to sing that. Oh then, yeah, with the slides on with, with the, the lyrics. Slides, yeah, and then the teacher would like have the pointer write me the lyrics. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened. In fact, yeah, the way that happened, and uh, after that, we got to go home early and uh, think about the veterans, and I. So happy to go home early, and I went home and turned on the radio at like two thirty in the afternoon or whatever. And one of the first songs they played that I heard was "Born to Run," and I can't get into it now. But it was again; it was like I'd never heard anything like that before. I'd never heard anybody sing like that before. It didn't sound like he could sing, but I loved it, you know. And uh, anyways, we'll get to all of that stuff when we do another record because we don't have time. But the last song on the album kind of closes it. It's another type of 
street song. I guess what this is on the second side is streets. It's yeah. living on the streets, living, being young and living on your own. That's being young, trying to find your way type of thing. It's about two, two and a half minutes of, of a mood before you even start singing on that one. Uh, yeah. New York City Serenade is one of the most beautiful songs <laughs> I've ever heard. And like Rob said, the, the, there's the instrumental part for the first two and a half, three minutes of the song is... Uh, and they had some funny instruments on this album. And, got, and even on that song as it begins, you know, it's like it's just the acoustic guitar and then there's another acoustic guitar that comes in playing the the lick uh, and then there's strings in it and it's kind of an epic it's kind of like a movie epic and but the first three minutes are just drop dead beautiful and then and then it gets into the song and I admit that this song really to seep into your skin takes a long time because I remember thinking this is a pretty good song and it was years later when I thought this is a monster song this is a song that I would literally pay millions of dollars to write i couldn't because i don't have it but i would like i would build a career writing this song uh as i would instant off 57th street as i would sandy i mean these are songs these are songs that i don't know how a person can write they're just they're just out of my out of my There's stratosphere a of weird stream of consciousness almost kind of uh, the lyric writing going on where here. the song goes it goes right yeah, yeah. I, the only things I could compare it to is rap music with the kind of uh, follow and flow like that but also uh, that we were talking about Joni Mitchell earlier mm-hmm. she's the only other one with uh, kind of writes lyrics like who this says there. who actually says I'm glad you brought this up Rob because you're absolutely 100% right she says she writes from a stream of consciousness point of view whatever happens happens yeah and then it's just um, you know you, you write it down first and then you got some ironing out to do to fit it within the uh, the boundaries of the music yep. but uh, at least you got the the things you want to write about there and this is the period uh in Bruce's career, as we reviewed in Greetings, which the more words, the better. He 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 was very, very much not on purpose, but I think he just had all these ideas going through his head. He's young, and he's just putting all these ideas out, and the, the words are just coming out. A lot, a lot of more words than maybe people would like, although this is a lot more musical. It's good than poetry. Greetings but it's so much more effective with the the music that uh, he's written and that the band is playing along with it because, like I said, yes. it flows, it swells, it gets louder and softer uh, in time with the mood of what is being said. But and it makes the poetry so much more effective. Isn't it, isn't it a lot more, especially the second side, isn't it a lot more like a dialogue? It is a story, right? Each song... Uh, especially on side two, is a story. But isn't it more like, like, hey, I'm talking to you. Hey, you know, you want to hear something about Spanish Johnny? Yeah, hey, Spanish a, Johnny's yeah. not going to be here tonight, man. You know what I mean? Isn't it a little bit like that? Not all of it, but isn't it a little bit like I got a story to tell and to tell this story, I also have to actually speak the story, even though we're singing. Uh, get in the character. Yes, uh, get in the character. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel that way when you listen to it? Ah. <sighs> Yes. Yeah, and it's like I said once again, the tone of his voice when he um uh, the, the different characters uh, he'll use different voices for the uh, the thing. I noticed that to understand Spanish Johnny, you have to hear what he's saying. Yes, it's not just telling the story; it's it's saying some of his words, like "Good night." Uh, it's all right, Jane. Puerto Rican Jane, you have to hear some of the things that Puerto Rican Jane is saying to under to kind of get the. That seep into your soul. Yes, he's yeah. kind of saying stuff without directly saying it. Yes, 
Yeah. yeah. Which is which is brilliant. That's that what you you're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's brilliance that you can't learn. It has to be given to you. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could say I could do that. I'm gonna do that on my next song, and I, I just no way it probably could do it. No. That's something that you no, have I, to be born yeah. with. There's no amount of records that you can listen to if you don't have an. You interview, can only you. do what you do, and as it turns out, that's what Bruce Springsteen does. Yeah, he does. His his especially these first two records are him doing what he does good at this particular time, and he's doing it better than anybody else. And there's, I'm trying to. When John Landau called him the future of rock and roll. You can understand it when you hear this record because nobody is doing this. Yes. And he is encompassing I that was what rock and roll should be, which is almost, it's so passionate, that I was, don't know what to do. The early 70s when uh, what used to be rock and roll was splintering in all these different directions. Mm-hmm. And uh, actual rock and roll like that was kind of uh, becoming older fuddy-duddy music. Yeah. And he was taking it, and he was saying, making it new. Yes. And he was putting his own spin on it, and he was saying, don't discard this music. It has much to say, and I'm going to prove it has a lot to say, and I'm going to prove it's joyous. It can be dramatic. It can be sad. It can be hilarious. It can be all these things, and I'm going to prove it to you. And uh, and plus, he came across as a street punk which, uh, not like a punk, you know, but like a street punk. Like a, yeah. a guy living on the street said, hey, man, how you doing? That his kind use of, of the language is yes. definitely, uh, the, you wouldn't find Charles Emerson, the Winchester III, <laughs> doing exactly. a Bruce Springsteen song. Making, or making a record like this and having, I wrote on this song, Incident on the 57th Street. This comes from a guy who has no money and living on, and not living on the street, but he knows the streets very well. And... I bought into it 150%. I bought into the future of rock and roll, just like every one of the other Bruce Tramps. And I still stand beside behind the, the comment. I mean, he did, in a way, become the future of rock and roll. Not that I um, thought that he... Just like I, I predicted that U2 would become a huge mega band, but not in the way that they did. Uh, and I'm not knocking what, what Bruce did later. I love all of, of Bruce's... Well, most of Bruce's stuff. It's just that I wanted this guy all the time. I wanted the mm-hmm. wild and innocent Bruce all the time because he was so passionate. All that and it was interesting lyricism. Yes, and, yes, and the interesting complex music. And it was saying to me, you yeah. either you either live and breathe and eat rock and roll, or you're nothing. The way and that at that point in my life, and I think at a lot of people's point in their lives when. Bruce Springsteen came up. That's what they wanted to hear. They didn't want to know about the big planes or the young guys in England rebelling against everything. They just wanted somebody to say, I love this music so much. I It pours out of me. My soul out of my out of my skin out of my pores. That's the thing they were um, uh, putting together albums like uh, this one and the first one that uh, I would normally expect from a band that's been together for ten or fifteen years. Like uh, yeah, wow. I really am impressed. Uh, any any misgivings or anything that you wanted to, uh, else to say? I the only one I even uh, which I already mentioned was uh, the the only problem I have uh, occasionally with Bruce Springsteen's lyrics is uh, occasionally uh, a line gets uh, muddled and. Uh, 
you have a hard time figuring out what it is. You're not the only oh, one who's lyrics. complained about that on this album. <laughs> and that has been a complaint for probably up until the internet for 10, 20, 30 years. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I have a right to complain. But the, the comment I made right before that, it was uh, just the right to everything. Yeah. I couldn't find any uh, any fault. It's a masterpiece. That, uh, I think it's a masterpiece. I think I just I know it's a masterpiece in my mind. I'm still not as familiar with it as uh, uh, as you are. And I don't I don't blame However. you. Like when I say it's a masterpiece, that took me a long time to get there because I thought that when I first started listening to it, first of all, I was young, very young, and I always liked greetings more because it was more friendly and it wasn't as complicated and uh to, for me to call this a masterpiece, it took a couple of years. I knew it was an excellent album. I didn't think it was a masterpiece for a couple of years. So me saying that, Rob, it's not from one ones. week. It's not from it's one week. It's when you hear it, but it, it does grow on you more. It does. You it, yeah. it absolutely grows on you. In fact, I was going to put up a, a bunch of things that people have said, but this one really struck me from the All Music website. Uh, all these, you know, things about it. By the way, it's number 133 on Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time. On their list, um, William Ruhlman felt that the record epitomized uh, romanticized songwriting and diversity as a composer. I agree with that 100%. Making it his best work ever, which some people do believe. I don't, but it's close. Making it Springsteen's best work ever and one of the greatest albums in the history of rock and roll. I agree. I but there are a lot of greatest albums. And, you know, there are like a hundred greatest albums in rock. I kind of, I like all the, the, the first three Bruce Springsteen albums that I've heard. I've not heard Darkness on the Edge of Town or the River yet, but um, I kind of like them all equally, but they're, they're, each is a different experience for me. It is a different experience. A and different. Darkness, when you listen to it, we will review the other two Springsteen albums at later dates. Uh, that will be a different album to you. Uh, uh, he doesn't like to repeat himself, and he actually never does. Uh, in some, doesn't have to be a huge way. Sometimes it's just a very subtle way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's still going to sound like him, no yeah, matter what. exactly. But. So anyways, I gave it five stars. I think it's one of the greatest albums ever made. And side two, as I've said a couple of times already, is one of the greatest sides ever done in music history. And I know that sounds like a lot of uh, hoo-rah-rah for a guy that I think <laughs> is is the world to me. But it's also true because I felt like that even before I was a huge fan. Yeah. When I was just a kid and had just bought his album, hoping to gain something from it. Uh, what do you think? I gave it a four and a half. Uh, lack of familiarity with the... Uh, as I, I listened to it, it will You grow. are also I can't a stickler for five stars. five stars. <laughs> I have done five stars. You past, have. But, but it's rare. It's rare. Don't come lightly. People out there, if you're going to make a record, maybe you got to deserve that five stars. I'm past uh -huh. the age of hearing five star music. I'm too old and jaded and cynical. Yeah, I That's agree. A possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Wow, it turned out to be an, a long show, even with taking out the segment that I had originally planned. We'll do the segment. Uh, Thoroughly next enjoyed. Time. I will be listening to this one again. So, yeah, it's uh, mm. it's a powerful album mm. to me. It's, it it changed my life. I can't say anything more than that. The book changed my life also. If you people out there who, if there's any young guys out there starting rock and roll bands. Uh, right. and, uh, I also love smart lyrics. I, uh, uh, read, read, the, read the Dave Marsh book, uh, the Bruce Springsteen story, Born to Run. 
And it will, uh, it changed my life. And I, even at that young age, I thought I knew so much because I was, I heard the Beatles and shit like that for two years. But uh, you always learn and there's always things that change your perspective and and make you grow as a writer, as a person, as a musician. That's why I've enjoyed the show so much is hearing stuff I would never normally think to listen to. Even me. I thought I knew so much when I started this show and most of the albums we've done I haven't heard. (laughs) Yeah. And they do surprise you sometimes. And it does surprise you. Sometimes it doesn't surprise you. Sometimes there's a grease in there. And now you get surprised in the most goosed of ways. Oh, I got goosed. What was it? Oh, it was the grease soundtrack. It goosed you good. Anyways, and I spoke right in. Look at what I did. I, I spoke know, right I into the microphone. Like, well, yeah, a little bit of a problem for the compressor to try and fix, but we'll see what we can do. Sorry, don't speak into the mic like it's your friend. Well, that's our show for today. We did actually. I did. I thought that we'd go way over time. We did, but not like Blue Waste to Coal. Not like Blue Waste to Coal way over time, which is our longest show. The usual amount of yeah. Uh, We will be taking next week off, Mm -hmm. but we will be back in two weeks. Two weeks. Brand new theme. With another theme. (laughs) It's like (laughs) it's like you know what I'm going to write because I say it every time (laughs) that we take two weeks off with another theme and another album and artist to review. And some people have told me that they heard that the next theme will be albums released by artists with the first name of Reginald. Reginald. But that is uh, absolutely uh, fake news. <laughs> well, because well, I would be searching for a long time. I'm no longer intrigued. What was that, Elton John's? Uh, well, his name was Reginald. He but was would, Reginald. We couldn't. Okay. We couldn't. That still wouldn't work because it had to be on the album. Okay. So artist named Reginald. So that is your homework for two weeks, people. Is to uh, think of artists uh, who have released rock albums or pop albums with the name Reginald. <laughs> <laughs> If you find a few Reggies in there, that will be. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, I don't know. We'll talk about that. So anyways, tune in in two weeks from now when we will have our new show. And not that it's a new show as far as we'll have dancers or anything like that. It'll be the same We're old gonna show. We're going to change the format. That we have. <laughs> We're going to be doing the show upside That's down. That's what I thought when I said that. It's like, oh, we're changing that form. It's going to be a whole brand new show. Oh, brand new show. <laughs> we probably wasn't thought into it this time. And hey, it's Ricky the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Love that monkey. Now, you can't see him, but he's doing something funny. <laughs> so tune in two weeks from now and take care and stay safe. Just write her on.